Hello and welcome to Radio SGN.、Uh, I am one of your humble hosts, A.V. Eichenbaum, and joining me as always are Hannah Saunders. Hello. And Lindsay Anderson. Hello. Ladies, gents, they, thems, ghouls, goblins, and the like. It's still the spooky season. It's October, but it's also LGBTQ plus History Month. And I was wondering, just、uh, off the cuff, if you guys had any、uh, gay heroes, queer heroes,、uh, that you look up to, anybody that you guys find、uh, particularly heroic, myself excluded, obviously. Lindsay, you got any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I have two queeros, if you don't mind. I do mind, but I'm gonna keep it in. Thank you. Yeah.、Uh, first of all, this may come as a huge shock to a lot of our our listeners, but Lil Nas X, I no shit. <laughs> I stand Lil Nas X. Really. Unironically, you know. I mean, I think I play it up sometimes, but the way that he was like outed by his fan base, basically for loving Nicki Minaj and having a Nicki Minaj stan account, and went like. Just made his music so much better by just embracing himself. Like, he's a bad bitch, and I love that.、Um, so yeah, number one, Lil Nas X, and then number two, someone that no one's probably heard of,、um, local Spokane City Council member. Her name is Kate Burke. She actually didn't run for re-election, but you know, growing up, I always wanted to be her because she's like so cool and in local politics and. You know who doesn't want to be like their local city council member?、Um, she's like one of the only young people in our city council, <laughs> always advocating for the rights of like you know、um, homeless people and just people that like aren't considered humans by the rest of Spokane. And、um, she recently came out on social media, and I was like, "Whoa, my hero is a queero. That's amazing." Very cool. Yeah.、Uh, Hannah, how about you? Yeah,、um, don't be disappointed when I say this, Ash. But gonna have to agree with Lindsay in terms of Lil Nas X. Just stand, 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 stand five ever.、Um, I'd say another queero of mine. I again, please no judgment here, but I I've always looked up to Anderson Cooper just for some of his、um, like、um, international coverage.、Um, Thought a lot of that was pretty cool growing up, and、um, I think he's a pretty funny guy. So, I guess kind of a queero there, someone to look up to, someone who's also in the news industry that isn't yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you.、Um, What about you? Yeah. Well, Gonzo from the Muppets, obviously a queer fashion icon.、Um, but on a more serious note, for a long time, you know, Harvey Milk. You know, he's from San Francisco. He was really big in the '60s,、uh, but recently I found out that he was totally up、uh, for outing people against their will,、um, which I'm not okay with. And I think we've discussed this a little bit.、Um, I think that that's actually really fucked up. So I'm I'm sort of I guess well part of the reason I asked is I'm looking for more、uh, better role models who aren't as、uh, I'm not saying he was a bad person. I just think that that's a pretty bad policy to have in this day and age. You're just feeling a little、um, lactose intolerant about him right now. I mean, I'm literally lactose intolerant, so I I should have known better in the first place. But、um, well, first off, guys, thank you for listening to our show. This is Radio SGN. It is the official podcast for Seattle Gay News, the physical newspaper that you can pick up all over Seattle and in parts of Tacoma. And what we do here is we talk about the news that we covered、uh, last week. And Lindsay got、uh, above the fold front page. Speaking of activists, you had two women's marches that you covered this past、uh, weekend. Yeah, I did. It was a busy weekend for women's activism,、um, and this was something that was important to me because I've been covering the. Texas developments in their abortion ban and the way that that's been impacting women across the country,、um, and it was just amazing to see all of these men, women, non-binary people, and all the in between come together,、um, especially on Saturday, to just kind of rally and support for reproductive rights and 
um, you know, a lot of the speakers really brought it close to home and telling us, you know, we're lucky that we live in Washington State where our rights aren't under attack in the same way that they are in Texas right now. But, you know, we can't let up because, you know, an attack on justice anywhere is an attack on justice everywhere. And, you know, we're seeing it. There are still fights that need to be had here. Um, some of the speakers talked about um, clinics in Seattle that are not welcoming to all women and that's something that we need to address and you know it was also cool to see speakers like Nikita Oliver get very candid with um, an audience of thousands of people and tell us their personal stories about why access to abortion is so important and then Sunday was just a completely different experience you know it was a much more intimate setting uh, not thousands of people gathered with their signs, but more of just kind of an intimate group of less than 100 um, activists really marching and chanting outside of um, St. John's Cathedral is where we started. And there turned up a big um, anti-choice, I, I don't like to say pro-life because I don't think these people are pro-life in their politics, um, but a group of male presenting people there just kind of to yell at um, the activists that were supporting women's reproductive freedom. Um, they were just saying some really nasty things. They've, they had those, you know, signs with the, I think they look like popcorn chicken fetuses, um, you know, and... You did, you used almost that exact phrasing in your uh, article. Popcorn chicken fetuses? I, yeah, I had to cut that. Yeah, thank you for cutting that. Sometimes I can't help it, you know, I just... Well, <laughs> what I appreciate about you, Lindsay, is you have a very strong writing voice. But it's also a pain in my ass sometimes. But, you know, sorry, please continue. No, you're good. Um, yeah, so they just, they had these signs, they were chanting things, they were being very antagonistic, um, and they know how to ruffle people's feathers, you know, so... To quote your original draft, they were uh, a misogynist karaoke circle. They were, they had they had a microphone they were passing around, like they were at a karaoke circle, and different guys uh -huh. were just, like, yelling things about, you know, why we're going to hell for, you know, any any thing about being a human being, pretty much. Um, one guy actually came up to me and um, he started like interacting with me. And so I just asked him, I was like, okay, so like you're, you know, you're against abortion. That's cool. Um, are you also like anti-ejaculation? Because that's, you know, anti, are you anti-period? Because- Was this on the record? This, this was on the record. I didn't want to talk about his sex life because he got really into it with me telling me that he doesn't masturbate at all. And I think that's why he's so angry about this is he just needs a release somewhere. And if it's not, you know, in privacy, then he's got to go out in public and just scream at women for being women. Um, but then speaking of women being women, there were two that just started making out in front of this guy and he like covered his eyes like a little kid and was screaming into like screaming into this microphone. He was running away. He said that they were sexually harassing him because they were making him watch them kiss. Um, that very is awesome. That is awesome. Honestly. Absolutely. This is a safe space to mock people like that. Um, going back to, I guess, a conversation we had off when we weren't recording. Report, report the facts. Talk about your feelings here in this show space because, you know, it's loose. It's looser. It's more conversational. People like that make me uh, incredibly angry, especially as a masculine presenting person. I'm glad that dude was traumatized by those two girls macking out. That's all I can say. Like, run away, little man. Run away. Ta-ta. <laughs> There's a lot of problems with um, men in this fucking country. Yeah. Well, and what I thought was so striking, too, was that this entire counter-protest group was all men. Like, you know, I've been to a lot of different women's rights protests and seen, you know, like the, yeah. the Westboro Baptist Church came to my college. So, like, I've seen these people, and a lot of times they have women there as, like, a shield to hide behind because then they're like, ooh, you know, we don't hate women. Look, we have one right here. You know, I think it's the same thing as like Caitlyn Jenner being a part of the GOP where they can be like, look at our token woman, our token trans woman. We, you know, we're okay. Um, but they didn't, they didn't even have a token woman there. It's just a bunch of guys. And I was like, wow. Well, thank you so much for covering that. We <laughs> appreciate it. Everyone go and check it out. 
Yeah, right. Was that one of your first, uh, like, protest activism coverages, or...? Um, yeah, it's the first time I've covered a protest for the SGN. Um, I just kind of gone to them to participate, like I said, in Spokane, like, as a college student. But, yeah, mm-hmm. never gone to, like, be a part of the press. And that was interesting, too, to see the way that people kind of treat you when you're taking pictures of them and asking for statements. is It's different, yeah. Yeah, good for you. I, um... Super proud of you, dude. Thank you. Yeah. We got a lot more news to cover. We have a long interview with Tom Rasmussen coming up. Um, Hannah, if it's cool with you, I'd like to talk about Washington's plastic bags deal. Because I definitely, before I read your piece and before we talked about it, I think I mentioned this in a meeting, I thought that plastic bags were already banned and no one paid attention. But it turns out, what's going on? What's happening? Right. So on October 1st, um, the statewide single-use plastic bag ban was put into effect. Um, it had been pushed off uh, due to COVID for like a year or so. Boop, we got that ban. Um, the city of Seattle had already banned single-use plastic bags for retail and grocery stores, but with this new ban, they've extended it to... Uh, restaurants and any place that provides like food takeout delivery that could even be pop-up vendors at events Um, and the reason why Inslee did this was one to create statewide policies so everyone can follow the same you know rules and and guidelines Um, but two just to increase the use of reusing bags which is super important in my piece i talk about some of the issues with the use of single use plastic bags and they're really toxic to our environment so i think this is a step in a positive direction Um, i wish it could have been done earlier in my piece i also talk about a few guidelines for bags Um, you will still see plastic bags but they're going to be a little bit thicker and um, they're going to have at least 20% post-consumer recycled content, so, um, and all of these bags should be labeled, you know, recyclable, reusable, um, so you will still probably see plastic bags at establishments, but different from, uh, single-use plastic bags, and there's also, um, eight-cent fee. Establishments can choose to charge more, and that's supposed to help cover the costs, and again, encourage people to reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, I had a question about that, actually, Hannah. Um, as, you know, resident Eastern Washingtonian, do you know, is this applying to all counties in the state, or is it just over here in Seattle? No, it's it's effective all throughout the state. Um, one thing is any citizen can report a business who is not in compliance. Um, but with that being said, businesses are still encouraged to use up the remainder of their single-use uh, plastic bag supply as long as that inventory wasn't purchased on or after October 1st. So there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I kind of lay it all out in the article and the, the um, Washington Department of ecology they have a lot of great information on their page too and then of course there are um certain exemptions for like flowers bakery goods like that those bags um are still allowed thank you so much it's yeah well folks it's time for everyone's uh favorite part of the episode there was no horoscope because we were making room for a schedule for all together now which was uh an event that happened this weekend so instead your favorite part of this episode is going to be the ads you're welcome we have an interview with tom rasmussen after the break and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh h.e edgman which i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly all that and more after the break radio sgn is brought to you by When you're the youngest sibling in a family of secret warriors who for generations have protected Seattle from monsters and demons, living up to your Lola's expectations is, in a word, daunting. Arts West presents We've Battled Monsters Before, a heartwarming tale of mythical proportions from the imagination of lizard boy creator Justin Huertas. Based on Filipino mythology, this new musical 
is a unique family story for the holidays. Playing from November 26th to December 26th, 2021. Online and in-person tickets available. Visit artswest.org for more details. Joining me today via Zoom is a man who was a member of Seattle City Council from 2003 to 2015, a bit of a trailblazer. He was the first openly gay city council member. He's doing something near and dear to my heart, heading the archive project for the SGN. And he also founded, started the uh, AIDS Memorial Pathway Project, which has recently come into completion. Is that correct? Pretty close to being done. Uh, there is a little bit of artwork that needs to be completed. It's a glass artwork project in the north end of Cal Anderson Park. Most of the installations are done. But what we have done in terms of completing our work, we're a group of volunteers, is the responsibilities for maintaining the website, and the website is one of the most critical parts of the ACE Memorial Pathway, has been taken on by Gay City, which you're probably familiar with, Gay City's been in our community for 25 years. Uh, focusing on providing programs and services to the LGBTQ community, particularly related to HIV and AIDS. That's a lot of information. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, let me introduce you. Tom Rasmussen, everybody. Thank you again for being here. I really appreciate it. You know, you've written for the SGN and for Seattle Times. I'm a fan of your work. Let's talk a little bit about yourself, get some of maybe our younger listeners in on the scene. So you were a member of the city council. Yes. For a long time. And you're retired now. Right. Uh, I was on the city council for 12 years, and I decided not to run for a fourth term. Our council terms are four years, and I was on for three terms. And I decided 12 years uh, is good, and it's best to leave, especially elected like position like that, when you're having a good time. Quit while you're ahead. Exactly. Or as some might say cynically, before the voters catch up with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what are you doing these days? You're heading the archive project for us got the amp going on. Um, what do you do in your spare time? Well, my spare time, um, I like to work in the yard. I like to be outside as much as I can. And I like to uh, exercise quite a bit. I uh, paddleboard. I work out at the gym. I do Pilates. And I, I do yard work. And you know, time flies. And then I, I make meals at home, too. I like to cook. And I also uh, am a piano player. So I take lessons and uh, practice whenever I have time. So that that pretty much fills the day. Keep it yeah. pretty, pretty uh, busy, it sounds like. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So we talked a little bit about the AIDS Memorial Pathway. Now it is, listeners at home, it is LGBTQ plus History Month, and uh, Tom's working on something sort of in charge of something uh, with us at the SGN that uh, I'd like to talk about. You're heading the archive project for us and we are now in the library at Yale we're at UW mm -hmm. uh, we're all over the place uh, could you tell us a little more about that I'd, I'd love to hear more well it uh it started out first of all with a great loss to our community with George Bacon dying about a year and a half ago now yeah and um at that time uh, the the SGN had a tremendous collection of its back issues and there was concern that something had to be started to ensure that those were saved. And it's really important to save those back issues of this, what's called the Seattle Gay News from the beginning, now the SGN. And um, Marcellus Turner, who was the head of the Seattle Public Library, contacted Rick McKinnon at the SGN to say, you know, we really need to be sure we have a full collection of the SGNs. And uh, Rick, you know, had his full-time job at the SGN, his hands full, and he contacted me for assistance. So I, I agreed with everyone who was wanting to save those back issues. I said I would do what I could to help. And so that was the beginning of it about, gosh, about a year ago. And it was a lot of work, a lot of work. Listeners at home, our old office was very messy, which is an understatement. A lot, a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, Josie Baird, one of our writers for um, last few months yeah. did a great piece on it that's now in a lot of papers this month around the country. So go ahead and give that a read if you want to kind of get the inside scoop. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. The other thing I would mention too, if you would like, people would like to learn more about it, is that the Seattle Channel, it's a television channel that's owned by the city of Seattle, uh, videotaped us working on organizing the back issues of the SGN down at the city archives, they say down. We were down in the basement and also up in the conference room at City Hall. 
and we worked with the city archivist and we were organizing there were about a maybe six of us at that time and they did a great job of taping and describing what we're doing so again it's the seattle channel and you can go into their website and see not in real time but you can see us working you know working organizing those papers definitely there will be a, a link to that in the show notes uh, if you just oh, go whatever uh podcatcher you listen to spotify yeah. apple music whatever there will be a link to that because that yeah. is a really great suggestion and it's a great video one of the things i would say is that you never know what you're getting into when you take on a project it certainly is committed to the worthiness and the importance of a project but then there are the logistics and uh, as you said the sgn office when george died was in in a quite a state of disarray and so what we had to do is important boxes of back newspapers out of there we went to storage lockers and we loaded up back issues boxes and boxes of back issues into a van and you know talk about heavy lifting those boxes are heavy we filled a van all the way to the top but then keep in mind so we have maybe a thousand boxes and then we had to go downhill a really steep hill to city hall and then unload all those boxes into the basement before we could even begin the organizing and sorting work. So we were bruised, we were exhausted from days of loading and unloading boxes. And uh, when we got to the city archivist and she saw what we had, she, she accepted it. It was amazing. Her name is Anne Frontilla, but she allowed us to just pack in all these boxes into the city archives every square inch and that's, that's amazing it was amazing it was amazing it was so much work of just moving boxes and there weren't that many of us and then we ran out of room at the city archives <laughs> and because they, she said there's no more room uh, we were stacked in every square foot that was available so we had to take some boxes back to the storage locker back up the hill <laughs> some of those boxes are in the new office now as well yeah, um, it's an ongoing project. I mean, 47 years, 49 volumes. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. And you guys are still looking for um, some of the back issues. Isn't that right? Yeah, I think there's a whole year that's missing. Um, gosh, I think what we could perhaps do is give you a summary of what's missing in case people want to look in their boxes or closets absolutely any collections that they may have of old lgbt memorabilia or sgn newspapers because we are missing some we would like to have as complete of a, a set or a collection as we can we're pretty close to that but we still are missing some we have a list that we i think the sgn has but i think it'd be good to re, uh, remind people what's missing definitely and that list again as soon as i can find it will be in the show notes and we'll be posting that on social media as well um, along with uh, some contact information. Yes. People there so you can help out. Are you archiving more recent issues of the SGN as well? Or I'm not involved in that. My expectation is, is that this SGN is doing that on an ongoing basis, ensuring that the Seattle Public Library gets every issue that comes out. And then the Seattle Public Library should be organizing those or keeping those new ones. But no, we, we stopped at about, oh gosh, in, in the 2000s, you know, the early 2000s, I think. I'd have to check on that, too. But uh, no, the expectation is the SGN uh, is taking that on now on an ongoing basis so that you don't get behind again. Well, that is good for me to know because uh, no one <laughs> no one told me at the office, you know. It's a, thank you for well, that. Um, yeah, what you might want to do is, is check with the uh, Seattle Public Library. I can give you all kinds of contact information on who to talk to. Yeah. But just to make sure that um, you don't get too far behind because it's, uh, it's, it's a job it's, to get caught up. Yeah, it's not easy. We do deliver to every library in the Seattle Public Library system. Okay. And uh, every library in the King County Library system, uh -huh. they all get 10 papers. So if you're looking for it and you can't find it anywhere, that's yeah. where you can find it. Been doing a lot of distribution work lately. I am sure. I'm sure yeah. it's complex running a newspaper and getting everything out there into the community. But uh, I would definitely first check with the Seattle Public Library and just say, hey, are you saving these in your, you know, kind of like your back issues, your collections? That, that might relieve your concerns. Yeah, I'd rest easier at night, I think. I know yeah. we do have a bunch of papers ready to be archived, but I'm not uh -huh. sure what's going on with that. One of the things that we're doing that, uh, in addition to saving 
paper copies is they are all going to be digitized. The state of Washington has agreed to take on the responsibility of digitizing all of the SGNs and then putting them online. That's going to be a huge service to the community. As you mentioned, uh, one of the libraries at Yale has the completest set that we can provide them. Those are paper copies, but we really want to have digitized collections also that's available worldwide. And uh, I'll be uh, checking with Angela, I'll be checking with the state of Washington to uh, develop a plan and a strategy for funding the cost of digitizing. That's fantastic. Um, you know, I'm a tech native. Um, I was born in 95, but uh, it's always good to see stuff online. Um, and it's easier, you know, we have a new website up, it's easier to show people, hey, this is what we do. This is yeah. uh, who we are. And I, for one, I'm really looking forward to that archive. We're also looking just on a personal basis to do special issues on the uh, app issue, which ISSU, and it's like a flip through archival uh, mm -hmm. situation there. Let's switch back to you. Let's talk about you a little bit in your career. I'm newer to Seattle. I got here in uh, 2017. Mm -hmm. But your name, no matter what sort of political circle, it does come up. You know, mm -hmm. I would consider you a bit of a trailblazer, as I said earlier. Do you consider yourself that? Uh, definitely, there were trailblazers ahead of me. And I followed that trail. Uh, perhaps I widened that trail that made it easier for other people to to follow, to um, participate in or go along in. But um, there, there were certainly people for years ahead of me, strong leaders, brave people, both men and women who really, uh, and trans people, and that, that really got a lot of things started that I was able to uh, benefit from uh, when I began my career, particularly in running for office. So I continued on that trail, uh, hopefully made it easier for other people I noticed when uh, looking up your uh, political profile, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't focus on your sexuality like a lot of politicians now do, especially LGBTQ politicians. It's uh, part of their talking point, their identity. The, I mean, to use a phrase from the 70s, like the personal is political, right? Uh -huh. um, what do you think that shift was uh, personally or during your campaign? Was that a big deal for you? Were people making it a bigger deal than you were? I never thought it was a big deal. I, I, of course, I wanted to have the support of the LGBTQ community, and I did. And I was, of course, open about being a gay man, mm -hmm. and I never shied away from it. Uh, it didn't really come up in the campaign. I, there were um, sometimes hints of it from my opponent's literature, you know, talking about families and kind of hinting at, well, sometimes I was feeling that perhaps they were hinting a bit that a gay man is not necessarily the person that you want or a family man, that kind of uh, traditional values. Yeah, that, that you see rhetoric. But she didn't really go there very far. And she also wanted LGBTQ support because you need that in the city, which has a fairly large community. So you need that. And there were there were leaders. So no progress has been made, was made, and is still being made for the LGBTQ community. We already had our non-discrimination laws in the city. In, in employment and in housing and public accommodations. But uh, so that was already settled, been settled for years. Yeah. So uh, I had other things to, to work on, transportation, parks, housing, human services, homeless issues. We really needed to focus on that, uh, keeping the cost of our utilities down. Those are fundamental things that affect all of us and that uh, were important to me and important in the campaign. And that's what I really wanted to focus on, but never, I would never shy away in, uh, from any issues related to the LGBTQ community. So that's uh, part of it, but it was just not, not a major part of it. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I suppose that if people are focusing on that today, it is that they're, they are aware of how, how fragile our rights are. You see among the, the Republicans, the conservative, the right wing, incredible hostility towards the LGBTQ community. And now, of course, they're focusing on the trans community. And I think it is important for candidates, for people in public office or running for public office to speak to those issues, speak actively and loudly. And if they are a member of the LGBTQ community, uh, proclaim that because they will not stop at the trans community, the opponents of, of civil rights for the, our community. They will not stop there. 
there are people today, look at Kathy Lambert on the east side running for county council. You know, she is a homophobe. She uh, appears to be a nice person. She seems to be a sweet person. She votes against every issue, to the best of my knowledge, relating to the LGBTQ community for, with regard to civil rights. They're out there. They're in office. They're in the weeds. You know, there's a county council member in uh, maybe several in Pierce County who are really hostile also. Give them a chance and they will rise up. They will take higher office. They'll organize and they will try to set us back. So it's really important for people to <clears throat> speak out still today and perhaps even more important today when we have this rise in the right wing, which is being uh, led by Donald Trump and his supporters, including many people in our community. Absolutely. All we really have is our vote and our voice and our actions. You can't really control other people, um, but we can, sort we can of influence, other people. influence the system is what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 I've been a, I've been a hard news reporter on and off for 12 years. Okay. You yeah. know, um, I started when I was really young. I was 14. Yeah. And they had me on crime and politics, which will screw okay. a kid up. Um, but I've never seen it as confusing as it has been recently. Really? In what way? Um, well, what I've noticed is with the rise of Trumpism and the Trump administration, you know, as frustrating and fearful and hateful mm -hmm. as it felt, there were uh, distinct sides. Mm -hmm. Now, in sort of the aftermath, there are moderates who are like, well, some of the things that happened during the Trump administration weren't all that bad. Apologists, oh. um, people who are still on the fence about certain issues that I find very uh, close to my heart, you know, LGBTQ uh -huh. rights, uh, trans rights, especially. And they're people I grew up with. They're people that we, we were raised in a post 9-11 world. Mm -hmm. You know, we were raised in a, in a world that really focused on alienation and xenophobia while at the same time connecting us to the rest of the world uh, yeah. via the internet in a really um, overwhelming way. And so I think people call it post-truth. We're the post-truth generation. Uh, finding facts can be very difficult. Um, and that makes it confusing for people who maybe don't have over a decade of uh, journalistic analytic <laughs> experience, right? Mm -hmm. So you'll see people just share straight out lies as truth on all sides. And yeah. we live in a, in a really conservative country in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, We're in a fairly liberal bubble, but even by other country standards, this is a pretty conservative, conservative town. And there are efforts to make our country even more conservative. You see the right-wing pundits going to places like Hungary, and mm -hmm. uh, which I believe has become quite homophobic. And so they're, they're trying to, to gain support from foreign leaders for what they're doing here and influence foreign leaders in other countries as well, which will affect the LGBTQ community in those countries. You know, it's not stopping at our border, as, as, as you know. And so people are, yeah, they, they, the hate is, there's an effort to spread the hate around and spread the discrimination around to, and to encourage it, to, to promote it. And you see people like the, the Fox uh, commentators going to the conservative countries in Europe, like Hungary, and encouraging them and supporting them in their efforts. Yeah, it's almost like they're uh, inoculating people against a sort of virus of sorts. Uh, but it's, you know, it's hate. It's funny how used to a certain way of being we get after yeah. a certain amount of time. Yeah, I would say I think that every LGBTQ person in our community, in Seattle or anywhere else in the U.S., should be very, very uncomfortable very uncomfortable and not relaxed. We used to have until very recently uh, a candidate rating organization called CMIC, Seattle Municipal Election Committee. Mm -hmm. Where is that? They disappeared, I think, because of uh, perhaps lack of uh, participation by the community at large. Uh, they used to, I was on the first CMIC interview committees way, way, way back when. And we, we, ask candidates, these are just local candidates, Seattle candidates, for their views on LGBTQ issues. And we were able to 
identify, sort, and, and uh, recommend candidates to the voters, to the LGBTQ voters. That needs to continue. I must tell people that has got to continue. You're getting too complacent. That sounds like your next project, Tom. You know, I think that it's not up to one person. And so my hope is that other people will understand how fragile our rights are and how they are under assault. You know, that, Absolutely. That in, in, you cannot be complacent. You need to be uncomfortable. We are not in heaven, you know. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah. get off your butts and start organizing. Where, you know, the SGN did a great job of political organizing. It's one of the one of the reasons why the archiving project is so important. Is it shows the importance and the influence of the SGN in our political system, particularly in Seattle. I don't know what SDN is doing about that now, but uh, it had an incredibly important role. Perhaps now with the internet, the need for a paper newspaper to do something like that has changed, but where is that passionate voice at the SGN that used to be George Bacon? Where is that? Well, since I've been kind of trying to fill those shoes, which is impossible, He's right. a, he was a larger than life individual. Yeah. Um, my main focus has been on working within the paper to make it so that we have a working system yeah. to get information out to the public. Um, I've been fighting uh, to get distribution widened. Mm-hmm. You know, my focus has been my workers and yeah. My op-eds are more about the uh, philosophical struggle of adjusting to a life in a city that doesn't care about you. Uh, so that's where my focus lies on a personal level. On a political level, our writers are out there. Uh, Lindsay Anderson, just in this last issue, mm-hmm. wrote about uh, two women's marches that happened uh, just a week ago. Good. Uh, Renee Ricchetti's out there. Right. Um she takes a lot of heat <laughs> for her for her articles. She gets out there and talks to um, politicians. Uh, yeah. She covered the uh, BLM protests. Mm-hmm. Now, our problem a lot of the time was we didn't have a proper online platform, I found. Uh-huh. Um, so we created this podcast mm-hmm. and we uh, updated our social media. We have a new social media manager. Some of our older members were upset with the minor changes just to bring us into the 21st century Uh some of them quit rick mckinnon is one of those yeah i never actually have had more than a maybe a one-word conversation with rick Uh um, in passing but yeah he was one of those people that quit um Mm -hmm. mk scott recently uh, we parted ways with with unite seattle so Mm -hmm. my focus has been to keep the boat afloat so to speak yeah. Personally, my mission statement is to broaden the horizons of the paper because I've said this before, I believe, on air, but we used to focus on cisgender, middle-aged white men almost exclusively as our base. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm non-binary, you know. Uh, we have a lot of writers who are bisexual or not white. Um, Seattle is an ever-changing sort of miasma. Capitol Hill is not the uh, hub of queer activity it once was. And Mm -hmm. so we have to expand outside of that. We have 152 distribution points, not counting the libraries. And that includes Tacoma. I'd say about 70 of those are in uh, Capitol Hill, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic for Capitol Hill, but other places don't know who we are. So my goal has been to expand that and to expand our readership to include allies, to include people of color, the BIPOC readership and our writers and the issues that they face are just as important because if one domino falls, right, the rest are going to fall. Our, like you said, our rights are very fragile. Yeah. Very fragile place. But also millennials and Gen Z are the most openly gay, openly LGBTQ plus generation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the same time as being the most uh, overworked generations and the poorest generations. And so we have um, workers' rights to, to deal with. We have yeah. 
BIPOC rights. Um, we're at a time in America that is so confusing, complicated, as mm-hmm. I said before, but also so unifying in our oppression that it amazes me that the left continues to eat itself every step of the way because we yeah. revert to tribalism instead of trying to uplift our communities. So my goal with this paper personally is to make sure that people know that we're here for them. Mm-hmm. My activism is quieter than George Bacon's. Um, I've been kicked in the head by police enough. Uh, you know, my lungs are n- never going to recover from the tear gas. Uh, really? But, you know, that's okay. It was worth it. I'd do it all over again. Mm-hmm. I was held for four days without charge in the county prison. In, uh, in Seattle? Yeah. In- yeah. During the BLM protests, I was mm-hmm. a, I was at the first big one that turned into a huge riot May 28th. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I don't want to go into it too much, but yeah. um, they took us to jail after kicking me into unconsciousness. Right. And uh, then they took us to county prison because I guess we were having too much fun in jail. Did that uh, arrest occur on Capitol Hill or downtown? Downtown. Oh. That was downtown. That was supposed to be the peaceful march, which is why. Yeah. I, well, um, I'll write more about that in my memoir or tell my yeah. therapist all about but it later. But Difficult. Certainly, I've been in uh, a lot of marches and demonstrations myself. Tear gas in D.C. and in Chicago. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that what that's like, but I was not arrested and, pro- and probably didn't have the severity of the experience that you had. Oh, yeah, of- I was uh, I was actually so I was pepper sprayed in, with industrial pepper spray. They pulled down my mask to pepper mm-hmm. spray my face. The, I knocked the thing out of the way that blew up. It exploded all over me and the cops around. They brought up cops from Renton. Yeah. Didn't tell them what they were going to do. So they were vomiting already because of the tear gas that was going off. I feel mm-hmm. terrible for them. Um, yeah. You know, they pulled me over the bike that they had been shoving against me uh, and then k- kicked me into the ground uh, into unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. And then when I got up, you know, face burning, eyes burning, they'd cuffed me. Um, car bomb went off. Cops, you know, who weren't expecting what was going to happen. Yeah. Growing up, uh, tear gas in their eyes. They were not prepared. Yeah. And then uh, held for four days without charge, which is illegal. Yeah. um, But they didn't think I knew my rights and uh, wouldn't let me talk to a counselor. No attorney. Uh, So it was the Seattle Police Department that arrested you. And then they moved me down, I think. They they placed you in a remote jail. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, where was the city attorney in all of this? Where, where was I don't know uh, word got around that there was a bomb threat in the in the county courthouse uh-huh. uh, for holding us but you know I was there yeah that was uh I was there until Tuesday yeah the, the march happened on a Saturday when what what day or what year was this it was the last year is 2020 okay yeah um i've never really gone on record about it i don't really want to go to court and press charges against it because well i really um sorry you had that experience given your experience in seattle what do you think of the mayor and the city council jenny durkin specifically um i uh i'm not a fan um uh she was always a bit middle of the road for me anyway yeah um when she chose to uh, just kind of, it felt like she was just letting this happen. Yeah. And um, I had friends who were working in the medical tents on Capitol Hill at the CHOP. It's against the Geneva Conventions to attack a medic. Uh, You know, it's a a war crime and it was happening intentionally. George was really excited when she got elected. He had such high hopes for her. I don't know if you talked to him or knew him. Did you know him? No, I did not. And I, she really let us down. I mean, she just, I, I don't get it. I don't, I, she really has failed in so many ways. It's just shocking. It's just. That's kind of what happens. I feel like a lot of people voted for her. Um, what I've heard is they voted for her because they were excited for her because she was uh, openly gay, is still openly gay. 
um, I guess, and that kind of comes back to the conversation we were having earlier when it becomes a single, yeah. a single issue vote, how does that continue to affect our city? Because as I was saying, uh, we Democrats, the left, the far left, we, we devour ourselves. We attack each other because we choose one issue and we right. tribalize over it. But I, I agree. I think she's been majorly disappointing. I don't get it. You know, I, I really, well, anyway, she's on her way out. So the question is, who's <laughs> well, we had, uh, we had Bruce Harrell on the show. Um, okay. I'm trying to get, um, how was that with Bruce? He, I mean, he's a really nice guy. We have differences of opinion in certain policies, especially when it comes to police, uh, for, yeah. I guess, obvious reasons now. But um, yeah, I think he's, personally, I think he's pretty level-headed. I'd love to get uh, Lorena Gonzalez on the show. Right. Um, I've reached out to her, and yeah. uh, hopefully she'll get back to me with an available time. She's very busy, understandable. Yeah, nothing like running for office citywide. Of course, yeah. But yeah, he he very informative. Bruce has a very genuine quality to him that it doesn't feel practiced like a lot of politicians. Right. You know, um, but at the same time, he never seems to say the wrong thing. <laughs> you know? So it's it's um, I'm still up in the air on that one, but he's a yeah. nice guy. You know, I don't I don't know if being a nice guy is enough to win the mayoral candidacy. I will say I've seen his ads more than uh any other candidate over the past uh -huh. year so uh -huh. yeah you know, word of mouth alone yeah what is your what uh if you don't mind um what do you predict with regard to the shama savant recall well i'm kind of a pessimist <laughs> um i i believe very strongly that uh, kashama savant is one of the candidates that cares the most about the working class mm-hmm um, and I hope that she does not get recalled. I'm going to vote against uh, yeah. recalling her. Um, I appreciate her audacity, courage to <laughs> sign uh, the to sign the petition against herself. It was quite a statement. Um, I know it was just political in in nature, but um, it worked for me. Because that petition uh, basically. Put her up to another vote right to recall vote. Mm -hmm. yeah so she would exactly she... so it'll if she wins it reinforces what the city wants right and if she loses well she loses either way i think she has a political future if she decides to take this and run for a higher office i wouldn't i wouldn't put it against her to do that she's, she's a great organizer yeah she is you know it's absolutely fascinating to me to see the sort of um to pay attention to the intricacies of politics on a smaller level, but not too small of a level, uh -huh. you know, because I got my start going to like small town city council meetings, right. college level politicians who make the biggest mistakes of their lives. But it's fascinating to see people who are actually good at what they do. Yeah. What uh, what state were you in at that time? California. I, mean, I grew up in uh, in the Bay Area. I grew uh, up right outside of Silicon Valley, Gilroy, California, which is uh, known for garlic. And yeah. that's about it. And then I lived in Santa Cruz and I worked in Santa Cruz and Watsonville for some time. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a wacky town for politics, man. Um, is that Nunes area or? That's uh, there's Santa Cruz County. It's about so Gilroy, my hometown, is 44 yeah. minutes south of uh, San Jose, right. 45 minutes east of Santa Cruz, and 45 minutes uh, north of Monterey, just about. Uh, so um, close to a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, well, I've been there. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful city. Mm -hmm. um, they're really working on it. But yeah, I've been, um, been away from home for a long time now. But, yeah. uh, you know. Well, you know, you said before we wrap up, you said something about being in a town where people don't care about you. What's your experience been with that? Well, Seattleites will, <laughs> you can read my articles about this, my column, where I just sort of muse on the subject, but uh -huh. um, Seattleites will deny the Seattle freeze up and mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. Now, I genuinely don't have too much of a problem with it. Yeah. Um, it's a different kind of way to be. Seattle does have its own sort of vibe and it's not all negative. There are uh -huh. a lot of really great things about Seattle, but you know, 
my whole sort of philosophical quest uh, is to find out why it's taken so many people so long to adjust to the personality of this city, right? Uh-huh. You go to New York, even if you're only there for a week, you get a vibe immediately. You go to Portland, you get a vibe immediately, mm-hmm. which I would say is like uncomfortable, but yeah. working it. You know, I'm not a huge fan of Portland. Um, you know, I'm from California. We, we communicate differently. Yeah. Pacific Northwest is a lot more passive in a lot of ways. Yeah. I don't I don't do that, uh, which confuses some of my <laughs> former co-workers yeah. um, and confuse. It's a communication gap. You know, it's like a language barrier almost. The Seattle no is my favorite. It's like, oh, I'll pencil you in. Oh, yeah. let's, you know, let's talk about it later. And, and that's that's the no, right? Yeah. And that means no. Uh, they actually teach business etiquette courses for Seattle, which is wild to me that an American city has its own business etiquette course. Well, it's, it's so interesting. Uh, I was thinking about something similar to that today, even. I was thinking how um, how uh, naive I, I may be. If someone says, well, give a call or let's get together. Why don't we plan a lunch? And then I always follow through. I assume that they mean it. And then I, exactly. yeah, and so I had lunch with one prominent uh, LGBT leader who was heading up an organization, and she said, "Now, what's the purpose of this?" And I thought, "You ask for this." I didn't say that, I, I know, but like, you're the one who wanted this. You know, like, well, let's get together. You know, it's like, how to get together? It's like, ugh. Yeah, I, I'm naive that way. If someone says, let's get together, I follow up, uh, let's do lunch, I follow up. And it's like, mm, I, of course, that doesn't happen all the time. But it happens enough to know, well, then of course, you start thinking, well, maybe it's just me. But it's, it happens enough to know that it is a uh, pattern. It's it cultural. Is. It really is. Yeah. It's cultural to this city specifically. Really? Uh, it is. Yeah. And before you know people start jumping in the comments or whatever um it's there's nothing wrong with it it's just very difficult to adapt to for someone like me Mm. i come from a very opinionated family (laughs) i come from a very uh noticeably outgoing part of the country Uh so for me adjusting to passive aggression or um or the whole like oh i'll pencil you in not follow through it, it doesn't it doesn't quite compute to me i think yeah. In that way, I am also naive, but I, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong about the way Seattle does things. That's not what I have ever said. It's just fascinating to me that, well, for one, Seattleites ignore it. They never acknowledge it, or if they uh-huh. acknowledge it, it's to deny it. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, it's just um, almost universally acknowledged by everyone else. Yeah. But yeah, hey, we're just about out of time. I'm so sorry to keep you uh, for so long, but um... conversation. And uh, I would say uh, is that uh, if you ever want to chat, get together, I'll pencil you in. <laughs> and, Absolutely. I'll, and I will follow through. But if you ever want to do that, I'm downtown. I live in West Seattle. Okay. It's funny, of course, you know, we are almost stranded it takes sometimes an hour to get downtown maybe longer uh, but unless you take transit which i encourage people to do i was talking to someone about a meeting and i said yeah i get into seattle maybe three times a week and then i said wait a minute i am in seattle but <laughs> when you're in west seattle it's like you know sometimes you don't quite feel like it because it takes so long but anyway my uh my offer is to say if you ever want to chat either on phone to get together for coffee or lunch let me know i'd be happy to do that because i am I get into Seattle every once in a while. Well, that sounds great. Our office is in Capitol Hill. I can get to downtown, no problem. Yeah, I've been there, sure. Yeah. As you know, so yeah, we do that. Okay, well, Tom, thank you so much. Is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners before we head out? Well, read the SGM. Support the SGM. It's been an incredibly important part of the LGBT community for many, many years, and it still is. So let's keep supporting an important voice of our community and for our community. Wiser words were never spoken, and I'm not just saying that because it benefits me too. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Well, you take care. and right, Thank you. I appreciate all you're doing. Thank you. Care. Well, that 
conversation with Tom was uh, really interesting for me. He did kind of put me on blast, which I do appreciate. You know, uh, it's very rare that I get to talk about my own uh, vision for this newspaper outside of the staff. So that that was cool for me. Um, but I feel like I've talked enough. So um, let's scoot on over to this uh, writer, the Seattle-based writer, H.E. Edgman. Now that's a Lindsay Anderson exclusive interview. I dig their whole vibe. I'm looking at this picture here. Very cool looking individual. <laughs> I know. I love the makeup in this picture. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so H.E. Edgman, um, I featured his first book, The Witch King, um, in the SGN Book Club, which can always be found on Instagram at SGN underscore books. And it was just a great fantasy novel it kind of transports you to this world called Aslan I hope I'm pronouncing that right because I didn't look up how to say these things I didn't know how to say Hermione when I first read it either um, I feel it yeah. yeah but it takes you to this this magical world with um the protagonist of the novel Wyatt and after talking to H.E. he kind of told me that Wyatt was a stand-in for himself in a lot of ways as a trans man and coming to terms with his identity, his place in the world, and he really liked to use magical metaphors, um, especially of the way that in this world witches like Wyatt are seen as kind of second-class citizens as a way of showcasing the world around him and how he feels about it, while also giving like um, a sense of separation between the fantasy and the reality, uh, which was super interesting to read it added to like a layer of complexity to the book that you know makes it that much more interesting um and you know on top of all that the book was also a love story um a gay love story between Wyatt and Emmer his childhood best friend so there was a lot of fun in the romance that kind of blossomed along the way and, you know, just talking with H.E., he revealed that a lot of this book was actually inspired by his love of fan fiction, um, that that kind of got him into writing, which is totally awesome. And I think we don't give enough credit to fandoms and stands, you know, as a whole. Um, the, the fan fiction community, I'm not a part of it, but, you know. There are some really great groundbreaking fanfics out there for sure, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. the One Direction ones really were pivotal in my middle school days. Um, yeah, so the book huh. the book kind of reads like fan fiction, and he said that that was a bit deliberate because in fan fiction it was one of the only places that he could see himself and his friend group um, really portrayed. You know, there there wasn't always a lot of LGBTQ friendly literature. Well, I mean, I would say while well, we were growing up, but. I think him and you are also quite a bit older than me, so um, there's even less, you know, the further back you go. So. How old do you think I am? 42. Right, yeah. classic. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you do the math. I was born in 95. So, yeah, 42. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. They say that we can't do math. That's crazy. <laughs> But yeah, the, the novel itself gives readers a glimpse into the experiences of one individual trans character, um, and he wanted to make it very clear that the experiences he portrays of Wyatt, while some of them may mirror his own, um, are not a universal experience, and that one of the most important reasons that we need more up-and-coming LGBTQ writers in especially the young adult genre is so that we can see the multitude of experiences so that, you know, someone reading his book doesn't go, oh, well, I'm not like Wyatt, so I must not be trans, you know. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Wonderful. So go check that out, The Witch King by H.E. Edgman. It's available online and in bookstores near you, I assume. Oh, yes. Yeah. Let's move right on over. Uh, Janice Athill has a great piece. The MacArthur Fellowship grants were just given out. There are a dozen uh, recipients. One of the ones I found really interesting was Sophia Noble, who is an internet studies and digital media scholar and works with AI to um, figure out racism and algorithms. Uh, she has a book 
uh, algorithms of oppression, how search engines reinforce racism. Uh, that is actually, it sounds really interesting. I've read a little bit of it. I didn't pick it up. I did just read the sample, but um, that fascinated me. There's 12 people on this list. I'm not going to go through all of them, but they are all uh, really interesting uh, backgrounds. It's a really wide range of individuals, and it's uh, fascinating. Any stories that stuck out to you guys this week? Yeah, I, I thought Dan's highlight on schools and students clashing over pride flags on, on campuses was really interesting. Um, looks like it's happening kind of all over the country. There was one school in Oregon that had banned pride flags uh, in schools altogether. Um, another one in Missouri ordered a teacher to remove a pride flag from his classroom and um, the reason for this is that some say that pride flags are considered to be very political when in reality it's just a symbol of acceptance, inclusion, and safety. Um, so that's that's been going on and it's again just unsurprising, always upsetting. Um, so since when are political flags banned in classrooms? Like, don't we fly the United States flag? I think that's like the most political flag, right? That's a lot to unpack in that very <laughs> short sentence. Hold up. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just really, I take issue with the fact that like, why wouldn't you want your students and your teachers and even, you know, families that go into schools, why wouldn't you want them to feel safe in their fucking school where they spend eight hours a day, five days a week? That just, sorry. No, for sorry. sure. I get no, heated, especially about the kids. Like, no one sticks up for the fucking kids. This is absurd. Um, and thank you. Shout out to Dan for covering this and bringing this to our national uh, news highlights this week. I, we three agree that this is nuts, right? It's bonkers. Absolutely course, bonkers. Yeah. Wackadoo, as they say. <laughs> Let's... Clifford's pissed oh, off. Clifford disagrees, too. Clifford's pissed off! I'm no Jeez. But let's, let's, let's take a step back and try to, I want to understand what the thing, what, what the idea is, right? So it's a politicized statement. Good point. But it's, it, so it's politicized, right? And so having a pride flag is political. Apparently. And having an American flag is not political. And Lindsay, you think that that is hypocritical? Oh, 100%. I mean, the, uh, the American flag is political. It's entirely political. Like, it stands for our whole government and political system. The pride flag is not a political thing, you know? It's like, I'm trying to, it's like a... It represents an entire identity Yeah, of a group of people. Yeah. I mean, it'd, it'd be the same thing as blocking, like, someone from having a family crest, you know? Like, why would we do that? That's a really interesting way to put it. I mean, it's always been frowned upon in certain spaces to be queer. Mm -hmm. uh, homophobes didn't just go away. Transphobes didn't just disappear. And it seems to me that a lot of these decisions are made out of fear, which does make it political. The personal is political. It's been weaponized against these poor kids. If you want to teach a child to hate themselves, you know, make sure that you outlaw something that they can identify with. Yeah, well, and I think that in doing this, too, they prevent them from even getting the chance to identify with it, you know? Yeah. Like, coming from a conservative area, um, it's this belief that education is liberal indoctrination. I've heard that so many times from, like, my, my parents alone, you know? It's, they, I mean, it's the same people that are against, like, teaching critical race and ethnic studies. They don't want you to learn about these things because they're afraid that it's going to affect how you think. You know, if you don't know about the LGBTQ community or you only get, you know, what you hear from church or, you know, very right-wing opinions, then you're not going to want to accept it. And if you are a part of it, you're going to hide that part of yourself. Um, and I think that for them, they're afraid that having, you know, education that teaches children that it's okay to be LGBTQ will increase the amount of children in their communities that are. And, I mean, I think that's correct. Um, but it's their way of kind of policing that and keeping their kids from being able to come out and live authentically. Yeah, it's just torturous for the kids who are 
hiding it or feel like they need to hide it because they live in a location where it's not accepting or they go to a school where it's just not accepting and think about what that does in the long term to these kids of all ages like it's well I mean we've seen like the impacts of it I mean it it hits close to home even at our paper that was an experience of George our founder you know that he lived much of his younger adult life closeted until he was finally able to come out to Seattle and be authentic and be in a space where you know it's more tolerated and welcoming and he was able to be himself Um, but then at the same time you know the trauma that that causes not only just for the individual but for all the people impacted by you know that experience yeah well I don't know about you two I'm gonna have a cry after this recording (laughs) (laughs) and we're just about out of time so that cry is coming right on up um it's a rainy Sunday anyway, y'all. <laughs> it's a rainy Sunday. It's been great talking with you guys. Uh, it was a kind of a heavy episode, but, you know, these are heavy times. Yeah, I mean, if we need some lightness, it is Peter's birthday, so I can send a picture of him in his birthday hat later. Your dog. My dog, Peter, yes. The one who won the Absolutely. drag competition? Who else? Yes, yes, that's the one. Well, his drag name is Patricia. Gotcha. Well, that's all the time we have, folks. Uh, anything you guys would like to say before we head out? Uh, thank you, as always, for tuning in. We definitely appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again for listening, being here all the time to hear us rant. And a special happy birthday shout-out to Peter the Dog. While we're doing happy birthday shout-outs, happy birthday R.L. Stein. Uh, just the other day, October 8th was R.L. Stein's birthday. He's a Libra. Fun fact. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you in the funny pages. Radio SGN is recorded by A.V. Eichenbaum, Hannah Saunders, and Lindsay Anderson, and produced by A.V. Eichenbaum. Music for this show is by Jesse Spillane and T.R.G. Banks, or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next time.